0: panel on RNZ National Victoria McClennan and James Elliott with me today. New GDP data set to be announced on Thursday and gosh it's been a year of food prices, fruit and veggie prices increased 20% in just one year stats nz said we're all keeping an eye on interest rates and then those house prices Auckland house prices down A couple of hundred grand. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said 2023 would be all about the economy and that it would be the top priority. And ANZ is forecasting a 1.1% expansion to the economy, taking the annual growth rate to 5.7% year on year. So to discuss the economy, what lies ahead, senior ANZ economist Miles Workman joins us. Kia ora Miles, are you there? We'll uh, get... Yes, I am. Ah, Miles, hello. How are you? Welcome <laughs> to the panel. Yeah. Look, so there is a lot in that. I mean, do you agree with Prime Minister that next year will be all about the economy for New Zealanders?
1: Well, I think for people on the street, 2023 is definitely going to feel a lot different. I mean, if you think about where the economy's been in recent years, we've kind of had that two-speed economy with highly stimulated domestic demand via all that fiscal stimulus and all that monetary stimulus. Meanwhile, tourism just fell off a cliff. Now, as we go into 2023, that's going to be flipped on its head, so to speak. You've got the central bank tightening monetary conditions because there's too much inflation. You've got the government with its hands tied in terms of how much Stimulus it can provide because the more it adds, the more inflation you get, which means the more the Reserve Bank has to do to pat that on the head. Uh, Meanwhile, you've got tourism recovering. So, yeah, that two speed economy going from sort of going from gangbusters domestic economy to uh, a much weaker domestic economy as we go into 2023.
0: Will prices all go up again, taking into account 7% or so inflation miles?
1: Well, yeah, I think there's still persistent pressures here when we're looking at the inflation outlook. And the big worry for the Reserve Bank possibly isn't exactly how high inflation gets and levels terms it's going to become more about how persistent inflation is and what's really driving that persistence is the labor market we've got the, got to this point where there's a, a wage price spiral that's been allowed to develop so people are you know the labor market's very very tight people are negotiating higher wages for businesses that's just a pure cost to them which they have to then pass through to their prices and the spiral continues uh, so you know that's going to take quite a lot of monetary tightening to get on top of. Yeah.
0: Before we go to our panelists, though, the the new immigration settings yesterday, Miles, I'm wondering if uh, that will feed into the wide the wage price spiral. May may take pressure off. I guess we won't we won't know yet.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, when we think about inflation and migration, you do have to remember that the migration impacts on inflation can be quite ambiguous. So first of all, you have more people in the economy demanding more goods and services. All else equal, that's more inflation. Uh, They also demand more housing. So house prices can be a little bit higher than they otherwise would be, perhaps.
0: Right, gotcha, um, yeah.
1: But but then you've got the um, labour supply story, which uh, can alleviate those wage pressures. So it's, uh, it's uh, you know, two sides of the coin.
0: Okay, talking economy first up at four, how uh, is it going to affect our pockets? How is it going to affect your pocket, uh, Victoria? What's the first thing that comes to mind for you for next year? Victoria,
2: f- are you there? Yeah, I am. Sorry, I think I wasn't live. I was talking away. Um, I think it's really tough for people out there. In the last four weeks, I've been lobbying quite heavily to the government to extend some subsidies for internet connections for some of the poorest families in the country who luckily in 2020 the government paid a subsidy so that they could be connected so their children could learn um, and and participate in the education system from home. And going into next year there will be families who will choose food over an internet connection for example. It's going to be a really, really tough and challenging year. Is that quite
0: a widespread problem?
2: It is quite a widespread problem, yes. That particular subsidy was for 21,000 families families and we now wow. estimate Gosh. the number is probably uh, significantly greater than that now and that's just since the original assessment was done in twenty twenty. Um, so so I think we're gonna we're gonna see people in very real hardship in a way that we haven't seen since probably two
0: thousand and eight. Oh dear the crunch is coming stay there miles, let's bring in James Elliott. Well, look,
3: I'm no economist, but I did have a look at some of the indices that economists look at to see is up and down. And men's underwear is one that the former chairman of the Reserve, Alan Greenspan, in America cited. He thought that men's underwear was a discretionary spend item such that when that tailed off,
0: uh, that was a sign of uh, the economy actually dropping quite a bit. Well, Miles, do you care to comment on that? The canary in the coal mine, coal mine being the men's underwear section.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there are definitely components of discretionary spending that are certainly worth paying very close attention to. So, you know, we can monitor spending at massage parlours or spending on cosmetics or spending on uh, electronic goods, some of those, you know, nice-to-have items. Uh, And, you know, you could argue that men's underwear certainly fit the bill. Um, You know, the big question for us as macroeconomists is we, we are all very much aware that in order to get on top of inflation, Uh, demand in the economy has to slow. Uh, But the big question is, how much does it have to slow? I mean, the Reserve Bank is forecasting a recession uh, for 2023. Uh, They're basically signalling that it's their expectation that a a relatively shallow recession is going to be the cost we have to pay as a broad economy uh, in order to get on top of inflation again.
0: I still was thinking about this on the way here, Miles, and it's just a bit of a sidebar, really. But I just thought, how... What a bizarre setup we have where um, we need to be penalised for having an incredible amount of people in work. Yeah, do you know well, what I mean? Com- it's quite, I, I a, do, it's quite a weird thing to get your head round. It
1: is a very weird thing to get your head round, And it comes back to this point of what the Reserve Bank call maximum sustainable employment. Now, sustainable is the key word in that sentence. Ultimately... If you run the labour market too hot for too long and therefore outside of the bounds of what's deemed sustainable, you are going to end up with wage price spiral dynamics, which if let to go off on their own, are ultimately going to end up in a much bigger boom-bust dynamic over the medium term. So, you know, it's really a case of providing tough love in order to try and smooth the economic cycle, because if you allow much larger boom-bust dynamics to occur, then you're actually in a in a position where the economy is generally poorer over the longer run overall.
0: The because tough that... love scenario, James.
3: Yeah. yeah well, that <laughs> it is somewhat counterintuitive, isn't it? But it, right. But it sort of makes makes sense in a way. In a way.
0: Yeah. Mm. Victoria.
2: Oh, I think, to quote something I read, Miles commenting on the housing market recently, the tough love and how far the government's prepared to go um, is the other challenge. And we're going into an election year and the capital gains tax boat has already sailed, but you can't help but wonder had they put that in place, whether we'd be in a different position now. Um, so we still have that housing pressure relationship with the economy that um, that I think needs to be balanced.
0: Hey, but before you go, Miles, how do you think the New Zealand economy has performed over the last two and a half years of the pandemic?
1: Well, I think it's fair to say that economists' predictions through this pandemic have not been great, um, yeah. I mean, and that's partly why we're in the current inflationary hole that we're in uh, is because we were all much too pessimistic about what we thought was going to happen. Fair to say the economy surprised us all on the upside. Uh, We saw a very robust household sector through all of this, which in hindsight suggests that both the government and the Reserve Bank probably threw too much stimulus at the problem. Uh, But, you know, that was a least regrets approach, uh, given the degree of uncertainty. Uh, So what I would say is you know, we are in a situation where there is a normalisation required but up until this point uh, the economy has surprised on the more robust side okay. of
0: So uh, let's hope it surprised us further going into 2023 uh, Miles, and perhaps uh, let's all just call the jets for now. Miles Workman, kia ora. Uh, That's uh, the senior ANZ economist there. It is 17 past for the panel. James Elliott, Victoria McLennan with me uh, today. Now, Sue Gray A Nelson-based lawyer and co-leader of the Outdoors and Freedom Party is in custody after a judge removed her from the Nelson District Court for contempt this morning, NZME understands. However, a hearing is held, or will be held this afternoon, where Gray is to appear before the court. Still a registered lawyer, last week Gray represented the parents of Baby W in the Auckland High Court as they fought to use unvaccinated blood for their unwell child's heart surgery. And the case uh, was covered globally, wasn't it? With us is lawyer Michael Bott. Kia ora, Michael.
4: Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora, panel.
0: Very nice to have you on, Michael. It's understood that when Grey was removed, she was supporting a defendant in court, not representing them. I mean, can you explain the rules here? Is this about upsetting the proceedings of a court process?
4: Well, let's just start off first. I understand from later reporting that Ms Grey... Uh, appeared, represented by counsel, at, at Mr. Banford from Nelson, and apologised to the court, and was released. But I understand that His Honour Judge SORAB is releasing a transcript of the proceedings to the Law Society, so we'll see what happens there. But going back to your initial question, um, under the Contempt of Court Act, which came into being, I think, around 2019, basically it did away with the old uh, common law power of contempt and it's about codified it. And under Section 10, a a judicial officer, and that could be a JP, a magistrate, up to district court judge or judge of the high court, uh, has the ability, uh, if they think that someone is willfully disrupting the proceedings of the court or willfully and without lawful excuse disobeying any order of direction of the court in relation to proceedings, they take one of two actions. One is that they can exclude the person from the sitting of the court or they might cite the person for disruptive behaviour and take the person into custody. And that's what may have happened here, because in this case here, the defendant was representing himself, and Ms Gray was appearing as a McKenzie friend, which has a a limited number of uh, powers and responsibilities, and you can't wear two hats, that is, be a lawyer and the Mackenzie friend at the same
0: time. Ah, okay. Now, I understand, just uh, the, the, uh, also for the latest, uh, she has been released mm. uh, from the custody of a, a freezing police cell, quote-unquote, after apologising to a judge for her conduct in court, and Sue Gray will now be the subject of a Law Society review. So, Michael, what does that mean?
4: Um... It means that the judge used uh, powers granted under the Protective Court Act, brought them back, there was an apology, that was an end of it. You've got to realise that under the Act, the finding of contempt is not the same as a conviction, even though there's, a, there's the power to imprison for up to three months or impose a fine. But the Law Society basically hunt and kills its own, so there may, there'll probably be an inquiry in relation to uh, what actually happened, looking at whether there was a transgression in terms of. Ms Gray's professional obligations uh, as a lawyer and officer of the court. But that's a matter for the Law Society.
0: Okay. Now, uh, I know you're a lawyer as well, James. Do you want to jump in first on this? Oh, uh, no, not much to add, really, except yeah. that it occurs very rarely. Uh, I think
2: probably yeah. the
3: best layperson understanding is that bringing the whole system of justice into disrepute. Um, By whatever behaviour was present at the time, and uh, will there be a a Law Society investigation? Invariably, obviously, yes, there will be. Query where that process goes as well. I like the hunt and
0: kill. Yeah, (laughs) never heard that before. (laughs) Michael. Michael, stay there, Michael Victoria.
2: I guess the reason that that's piqued all of our interest is because. Of Sue Gray's views and the, the people she's been defending and the whole mis- and disinformation conspiracy theory side of it, which is why the public's interested and. In and and this has all happened in the court and under different jurisdiction. But obviously, outside of the court, there's the Bill of Rights, which which provides the freedom of speech for people to, to talk about their beliefs. But we um, are on a slippery slope here at the moment.
0: And that's why we want to raise this, Michael, because here you have, you know, Sue Gray is a registered lawyer. Uh, uh, and many have been asking how a prominent anti-vaccination campaigner is being allowed to some might say, exploit a platform to, mis- to spread misinformation. At what stage do you lose a licence in law?
4: Well, it's when you breach your professional and ethical obligations. And in this case here, we are officers of the court. It's not our job to disrupt court proceedings uh, and, and talk over judges, etc. And I don't know what's happened here. But the thing is, when you have a proceeding and you disrupt it, you basically stop The the, the administration of justice, and you effectively interrupt fair trial rights. If you disagree with the judge, you don't shout over the top of them. You appeal with them, and there's a process for that. The whole point about the law is a system of order and rules, and you can operate within those rules very effectively. The minute you start trying to have a shouting match in court, you erode due process and undermine the administration of justice.
0: But I want to ask you, Mike, and maybe you, James, how do you feel in terms of being being lawyers and you have someone like Sue Gray who has certain beliefs? Does it does it bring the law as a whole? Because it's all about trust these days in terms of a profession. Who do you trust? And you still want the pillars of law to be trusted, don't you, Michael or James? Well, you, you, you oh. do
4: and But you can't tar, uh, you know, Sue Gray just because she represents clients who you may think belong to the tinfoil hat brigade. Put it, putting it to one side, has she breached her ethical and professional obligations? Now, if she shouted over a judge and tried to undermine pr- proceedings as they were going on because she disagreed with something, arguably there, there may be a breach there. But the way to deal with it, if you have a judge who behaves in a way that you find uh, wrong in terms of the law... Um, or anything like that. There's a judicial complaints proceedings, but there's also, but there, there's a very established and long respected and often utilised appeal process, and that's the way you do it.
3: Yeah, as Michael was saying, it's very much a rule-bound process, so the issue is, I mean, sure there'll be lots of lawyers out there whose beliefs Michael and I disagree with as well, but that's not really the issue in terms of their conduct before the court, Um, and Michael, I think, has circumscribed the
0: rules component of that very well. No, well said, well explained. Someone says, Sue Gray has many supporters amongst your listeners, Wallace, not the first lawyer to be disciplined. Well that's also true Quite a race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michael, lovely to have you on Kia ora. thanks for Michael, that nice to hear you, Yeah, this Lawyer, Michael Bott there It's 24 past 4, well uh, this afternoon this broke didn't it Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern called Act, Ladi, uh, Act Party leader David Seymour uh, quote, an arrogant prick as she took her seat in Parliament this afternoon following questions in the House of Representatives, Ardern has since apologised to Seymour for the remarks, Seymour had been asking Ardern a series of questions relating to senior Labour MP nanaya Mahuta's performance, hate speech reforms, etc. And after answering, uh, as Ardern took her seat, she could be heard saying to Grant Robertson, who sits beside her, "Such an arrogant prick." Uh, so the mic picked that up just quietly. Just around the panel briefly on this one. What? what what do you make is this? Is this appropriate, James? Is, is it, appropriate? it a sign of mounting pressure? What is it? It's well, quite strong words. Strong words, and I'm just delightful that the media are taking every
3: opportunity to say what those words were. In fact, nobody's saying she said something untoward or inappropriate. She's being very accurate, saying she called him an arrogant prick. <laughs> what do you mean accurate? <laughs> well, that's exactly what he. Uh, that's uh, exactly what she said. Right. We don't have to have the words reported, but everybody's choosing to actually. <laughs> Indulge in that.
0: Yeah, Victoria?
2: Look, no matter what your politics, I think our Prime Minister has conducted herself with amazing decorum for the last five years with some incredible pressure on her. And David Seymour makes a point of trying to get under her skin all the time. And wow, he got under her skin this once and she responded under her breath. And I just think good honour for voicing it, at least to her colleague, quietly. Obviously she didn't intend everyone to hear, but it must be hard being relentlessly attacked like that. So I think she's she's conducted herself incredibly well to date.
0: Okay. Twenty six past for uh, the panel are NZ National now. A couple of weeks out from Christmas, after a brutal year, many of us will be wanting to shut off the news and focus on a blooming good book. So I said yesterday, what I'm going to do is, the final two weeks of the show of 2022, I'm going to ask, I'm going to po- compile a panel book list. Never do that be- done that before. Today I will. Now... Cass Carter yesterday suggested Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Albom. Stephen Jacoby suggested An Act of Oblivion by Robert Harris, a brilliant novel he said about the executioners of Charles I. Victoria, what did you choose for me, for my list that I'm compiling?
2: Okay, I've chosen a book that I was given last Christmas by my dearly beloved, which is Māori Made Fun – is by Scotty Morrison and Stacey Morrison and he gave that to me in follow up after Stacey gave me Māori at work when I was first learning te reo Māori a couple of years ago and if you're finding te reo Māori not very accessible it's a great book because it's got puzzles and games in it and ways to commit words to memory um, that aren't your kind of traditional rote learning so that's my recommendation.
0: Okay so an absolute essential for uh, for the Christmas reading list from Victoria McLennan. What about you, James Elliott? Well, I can say so I've read the Mitch Ablin book and I've read um, Act of Oblivion, which Robert You've you read, bro- both, you read of both, both of those.
3: They're very good, very good. My, look, my book is I'm a huge John Irving fan. Um, all of uh, Prayer for Owen Meany, um, Midnight Twisted River, and so on and so on from Outer Marriage. So, my book uh, choice is his latest one, The Last Chairlift. It's the first book that he's released in seven years. And if you want a summertime project, it runs to 889 um, pages.
1: Wow. You're
0: cruel. (laughs) I
3: have it it on my bedside pile of books. And there's a lovely Japanese word that's Sondoku, which is Japanese for an unread pile of books, which everybody (laughs) has, if we're honest about it, we all have. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping to
0: knock that off over the summer. There's something, it feels like embarking on a journey. Isn't it when when you are in front of a very big book and you go, "How will I ever finish it?" But you try and wade through it, and at the end you get through it. Oh,
3: you do. Yeah, I think you need to allocate time. A book like that you can't read in twenty minute, thirty minute um, bursts. You have, to, and that's what summers for. Allocate a couple of hours. Absolutely, we Get is why the right refreshments it. around you, the right kind of beanbag, the right kind of you know support for your posture get stuck
0: into it. It's it's a reminder, isn't it, Victoria, to actually take time. It's back to almost your I've been thinking that. I mean, I haven't read a book this year. There was a time a couple of years back I used to read many, many books every year. It's just been that type of year.
2: Well, I haven't read a fiction book all year, so I'm with you there, Wallace. I have read a lot of... Uh, non-fiction I'm going through menopause so I've been reading things like how to thrive and menopause which um, some listeners will relate to and but not a fiction book so I'm actually really looking forward to particularly those three days between Christmas and New Year or you know that two-week period when you don't know what day of the week it is they're great days for reading books.
0: Good on you both. All right, uh, you're on the panel, uh, RNZ National. By the way, we've had quite a response regarding uh, Prime Minister's comments about David Seymour being an arrogant prick, of which she uh, apologised. Uh, but also, actually, um, might be surprised on this, but a large response regarding Harry and Megan, this new Netflix series of which we could find no <laughs> TV reviewer in Aotearoa, who watched it, but despite being one of the world's most watched series, someone says, what self-indulgent twaddle, best viewed as a case study for excessive privilege, but David says, it is delightfully tranquil, just nice people. <laughs> <laughs> Terribly frustrating for everyone I know who doesn't like them, as there is no material to bash them about, it's just a victory for normal living. You're on the panel <laughs> RNZ National